Welcome to another episode of the Listen In Podcast, the only music podcast by music listeners for music listeners, Jake. And How do you like that? I, I don't dislike it. I don't know that we can claim it with absolute authority, but I, I don't mind it. Are I, you sure? I, I'm very proud of it. Okay. Sean, here's the thing. We've reached episode 83. 83. And, good for uh, us. So 1983 in music, we had some good albums here. You ready, okay. You ready for Lay this? Lay on me. Kill Em All by Metallica. Okay. So kind of already... Right, right in our wheelhouse yeah, as, a, as a metal podcast. That, that is a formative... Uh, album for both of us. Murmur by R.E.M. Syn- That's actually a great album. I love Murmur. Synchronicity by The Police. Inspiration for what? Scrantonicity. I was going to say Scrantonicity. Yep. Beat you to it, so I said it first, so <laughs> not a big deal. Uh, Speaking in Tongues by Talking Heads. Apollo by Brian Eno. Eliminator by ZZ Top. Ooh. Peace of Mind by Iron Maiden. War by U2. And let's find one more. How about... Uh, Texas Flood by Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> How's that for you? Never forget. Yeah. Oh, and Let's Dance by Bowie. Two. Okay. There you okay. Go. So you know how last week for our 82nd episode, 1982 was a kind of a peaceful year. Yeah. So it it flipped the next year. We had Reagan coming out with his strategic defense initiative to uh, shoot down enemy missiles. Uh oh. We had Mash the TV series ending. Um, a couple of big debuts. So kind of a war ending. I don't know how yeah, that show True, ended. true. A couple of big, big debuts, Jake. We had Microsoft Word first being released. Big shout, big friend of the pod to Microsoft Word. And Although we've actually, we've pivoted to Google Docs. <laughs> pivoted to video, yeah. I mean, that's right. Uh, and McDonald's introduced the chicken nugget, uh, the McNugget. Just something that, you know, is really, again, formative... Culturally, here's another one. It actually is. Bef- I don't mean before we dive into the episode. Uh, the U.S. invaded Granada. That's always one that was like a pop culture joke in the '90s. You'd see it on like Growing Pains or some shit. They they talk about Granada. Was or that like, that ins- was always like a joke? Was that the inspiration for the song that came out decades earlier, Camp Granada? Yes, it was. I, yep. I don't know if that came yep. out decades earlier. I have no idea. Anyways, um, let's dive in because we have a packed episode. For people who are fans of Game of Thrones, we have a after show, pre-show, yeah. uh, at the end of all of this that goes pretty in-depth on the new episode. We basically decided to formalize, in some sense, the uh, the just rambling discussions we've had in recent weeks about Game of Thrones in the post-show. Uh, we brought on big friend of the pod, Josh, who some of you, if you are on Twitter with us, you've seen him interacting with us. So if you like Thrones or you would like to get into it, actually, if you'd like to get into it, don't listen to it because there are spoilers galore. It's riddled with spoilers. Yeah. Uh, it's lousy with them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's dive in to our segment, Hot Thoughts, where we discuss let's new albums and new music that just came out. Let's talk quickly about the new Lana Del Rey album, mm-hmm. Lust for Life. So, Jake, you know this about me. I'm actually a pretty big Lana Del Rey fan. I have enjoyed her music ever since video games came out as just like this YouTube video that seemed to come out of... Uh, fucking Instagram filter. I'm right there with you with, with video Loved games. Loved that. Really liked the album Born to Die. I've enjoyed her subsequent albums since then. Uh, Ultra Violence and whatever the last one was. Um, See, shows honeymoon. Big of a, yeah, yep. Uh, and then this one, Lust for Life, comes out. It is 16 songs long. It's an hour and 12 minutes. So as listeners know, uh, not our favorite thing when it's over an hour long. It's it's a lengthy one. I have to say though, I actually ended up really enjoying this and I've I've gone back a couple times and I've listened. I've I, been enjoying it too and I think in a recent episode I said something to the effect of I haven't been that compelled to listen to 
full albums by Lana since Born to Die came out. Um, I had a second listen to this album today, and I gotta say there's a lot of it that's kind of compelling to me. I think it's interesting the way she is sort of painting herself as this... I don't know, there's a character she plays. Yeah. And I think it's... I, I had this thought that it seems like as a response almost to Trump and like how things in America seem very sort of polarized right now, things seem very uneasy, unrestful... Um, it almost feels like like there are songs like what's the one um, when the world was at war we kept dancing and it's like God bless America and the beautiful women in it songs like that it almost feels like she's one of these characters who during World War II would like sing songs to rally up the troops (laughs) you know what I mean it seems like she's taken on this character and she's actually said in interviews that before she really didn't care about politics and was very apolitical but she said once Trump got elected she started to take a more hard look at what her stances were and have that influence her music at least a little bit. Didn't she say she hexed him? Uh, Did yeah, you see she this? talked about witchcraft or whatever and, and she was pressed on it and she's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm into like a lot of shit. So she, Lana Del Rey, okay, so I think one of the reasons why I like her is because she's a goddamn mystery. She <laughs> Like, what is she about? She doesn't do many uh, interviews. She does these weird slightly left of center pop songs that have major appeal but would never be played on the radio because they're all mid-tempo and slow like she i don't know what her whole deal is she kind of strikes me she's almost in like a father john misty persona thing but like as a female pop artist well father john misty loves lana del rey and actually so the song coachella woodstock on my mind yeah such a lana del rey song title by the way song titles in this one she was saying, do you remember the line where it was like, um, I was at Coachella leaning on your shoulder watching your husband. She's talking about Father John Misty. Emma she Tillman? Was, and hanging out with Emma Tillman. Uh-huh. Uh, Od- what are the odds, Sean? Odds maker Sean. What yep. are the odds there's been a threesome in that situation? Uh, <laughs> you know, like... Honestly, it's probably even odds. Yeah, just even, <laughs> even odds. odds. Even odds. Yeah, it's a pick'em. <laughs> yeah, it's a pick'em. Um, like Seahawks, Patriots. But my, I, I really, really like Lana Del Rey because at first I think she was criticized for being kind of a persona and a character. Yeah. But she has just embodied that for years and years now. That it's like, oh, this is like pretty much who she is, which is more interesting to me than if she wasn't. It's definitely becoming that, where she's just sort of totally... She didn't shy away from it. That's the thing. She took a lot of flack when Born to... Uh, I almost said Born to Run. Born to Die came out. And she had that disastrous SNL performance. Yeah, yeah. she took a lot of flack yeah. and a lot of um, bad press. And she just kept going with yeah, it. And you know what? you got to give her credit, because she draws an incredible cast of, of features on here. you got... Uh, ASAP Rocky, I think, yep. on a song. The Weeknd's on a song. Stevie Nicks appears on a song. Sean Ono Lennon is on a song, um, on which she says, I'm singing with Sean. That's right. Big shout to me. It, yeah, big friend of Lana Del Rey mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Sean. Um, so, but, yeah, I agree. I, I actually have been enjoying this record more than I anticipated. One last thing on her. One of the things I really like that she does, and this would usually annoy me otherwise, but it doesn't for her for some reason, is she, like, co-ops these really famous song lyrics and puts yes. them into her song like she she name drops stairway to heaven in, in coachella she talks she says like tiny dancer she says all of these like classic rock th- lines that you would i would personally be annoyed if another pop artist 
took that and put that into their songs. But for her, it sort of works, where she's just almost painting this portrait yeah. of pop culture and Americana and, and classic rock vibes That's that really shtick. works for her. That's, yeah. yeah, it's her whole shtick. She's this pastiche of sort of a collection of... She's almost like the wall at an Applebee's. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. all memories. Except way more tasteful. It, way a lot more tasteful. Less sodium. I well, yeah, I would say a lot less sodium, <laughs> yeah. probably in her diet and certainly in her music, which, as far yeah. as I know, has no sodium. No, music. no, no, it's salt free. Uh, let's move on to another album, Jake, that yep. we had. This was Tyler, the creator. Notice I, uh, I, I honored for, the uh, comma there. It was a long pause. That was more of a semicolon. You're pause. right. You're right. Uh, his new album, Flower Boy. Yeah, uh, also informally titled Scumfuck Flower Boy. Oh, good, because so Tyler's still doing Tyler stuff. He is, he is. Uh, did you see the alternate cover for this? So the, the real cover, or the one that's on the normal release, is the one of him in a field with sunflowers and yeah. bugs or bees going by. Did you see the alternate? It's really no. cool. It, it looks like an old Columbia Records tape, like a cassette. And it has a B on it, and it says "Scumfuck Flower Boy," and it it like is spread out to the like a CD size. Jake, it's a really cool um, design. You know, we have kids and families listening to this podcast, so so parents, if you're in the car right now, sorry about that. Yeah, you won't have any more of that the rest of the episode. Our our bad. Um, no more swears. So here's the thing. Feels like so. Uh, let me go back. Tyler, the creator, is someone who I've followed more than I've listened to. I've followed his career more than I've actively listened to it, and the reason is usually I've found I like Tyler, the Creator's songs. Like, I always liked Yonkers. I liked some on Cherry Bomb. I, I don't remember all of them on Goblin and on Wolf. There were always like, songs and moments I liked. I always found that for the length of a record, a full-length album, um, he was a bit much. I think a little obnoxious. His whole shtick was... I think he was trying to be annoying. Feels like on Flower Boy, he's dialed that back a little bit. Um, he's doing some really interesting things with production. I think he's found some cool grooves and some interesting flows on this record. And I've always liked him as a rapper. Um, it was just some of his other shtick that kind of bothered me. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, too, have been more of a I like him in theory, I don't like him in practice kind of guy. Yep. And it's interesting because I had conversations with multiple people about this album over the weekend. Um, and a lot of people said, you know... I didn't really like Tyler before. He, his music always seemed really immature. I had multiple people say that to me. Yeah. And everyone's reaction was, but this one feels a lot more mature, and he's not as annoying this time around. And honestly, I am in lockstep with those opinions. I agree. I w- I'm with you where it was always a little bit much to listen to him before. Didn't really want to. This one I enjoyed a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, not Not to say that... You know, I love it, or that I'm even gonna really listen that much more. But I enjoyed it more than I have past Tyler the Creator releases. I've listened to it a few times, and I can actually see this one becoming a part of my rotation for the next few weeks, or for however the hell long I listen to albums when they come out. Now it doesn't feel like long anymore. No. Um, but there's some real highlights. Like I like Nine One One, Mr. Lonely, November. I think is really cool. I love the first few songs, Forward, where this uh, flower blooms sometimes, See You Again. I I think it just has this sort of sweeter, um, like maybe a little more produced sound. I don't know. I I think this is where I'm I'm sort of falling flat because I got to admit to not totally remembering how all those Tyler albums sounded because I would listen once or twice and then be like, oh, that's not really for me as a whole album. Yeah. A couple nice uh, Frank Ocean features on here, too. There are. Having himself a year. 
he even he, without an album coming. He out. really, really is. I don't want to go on this for too long because I don't think it really matters. What do you make of the whole the the media hype on this album about it's Tyler coming out as gay? Oh yeah, yeah I've heard that. I, I I don't. Does it matter? I don't. I don't know. I, I don't the know. Only I, reason, I didn't get that from listening to it. Because it's one, one song. Time, I think it's but, on. Uh, I think it's on. I ain't got time. He talks about like I've been kissing white boys since I was whatever age, and there might be other references to it too. I think the reason is like. When he came out with songs, he would use the F word, the derogatory right. term for gay people, in songs. And he was actually, like, widely sort of uh, a lot of gay rights groups singled him out. Yeah. Tyler, the creator, as someone who people shouldn't listen to or shouldn't support because of that. And it was weird because Frank Ocean kind of ran in his crew. And I guess there was some weirdness there when Frank came out as bi and oh, then I yeah. think gay. Yeah. Um, so I think that's more the angle on the story. Okay. I don't know that it matters that much. It's, I guess, kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I had only heard vague rumblings of that. I didn't really... I guess I just didn't listen close enough to the album to really get that out of it. Well, but. I remember when I heard the line, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But I didn't think much of it. And then I guess this whole thing hmm. kind of blew up on the internet a yeah. little bit about him. Um, so, yeah, something. Um, another album we should talk about very quickly because it's a short album. Uh, and it's no, well, one new song, I guess. or a It's a cover. Of, it's that, a cover, yeah. right? Uh, the New Tallest Man on Earth EP, Tallest Man on Earth with Y Music, I assume it's pronounced, or E Music? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lowercase I, Y. I'm, I'm pronouncing it in my head as E Music because it reminds me of that old music site called E Music that dealt in indie releases. Oh, and okay. when you went to Wendy's in the year 2004, Four or five, you would get 15 free song downloads on your cup. And I ended up getting Gaga Gaga Ga by Spoon and like a bunch of White Stripe songs downloads as like a tw- like 14 year old. And I was like, this is awesome. How are these just available for free? So I that was that Wild West time of like people just trying to figure out what the fuck to do in the music industry. What digital music was. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, I, I fully missed out on that, which is really odd given the number of times per year I was at Wendy's. Especially during that era. I mean, that was a lot. I, I For me to miss a promotion on that scale yeah, at Wendy's, it, it, I must have had fucking blinders on. Yeah. I know I said I cleaned up the language for the kids yeah. at home. Um, so this Tallest Man EP is basically he's taking old songs like Revelation Blues is on it There's No Leaving Now um, a couple other on every page Love Is All yep and then then a a cover that he's done live before and it's pretty interesting he's redoing these songs with new instrumentation some I think strings some uh, wind instruments Mm -hmm. and stuff uh, I mean, I think it's nothing monumental. It's always nice to hear anything from Tallest Man. Um, and I've listened a couple times. It's certainly pleasant. And if you like the Tallest Man on Earth, you'll you'll enjoy this EP. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that, where there's certain uh, reinventions that I like better than others. I think On Every Page is a real highlight on here, that he does something new with that song and breathes new life into it. I think yeah. some of the other ones are more just... They're, they're rehashed with different instruments, and it... it you know they're it, good, but it's not. It doesn't improve upon the original song that much. But it's still definitely worth a listen if you like Tallest Man. Actually, kind of an interesting move, and I'm surprised more artists don't do this. Yeah, it, it's it seems like a natural thing you'd want to do. I think the Tallest Man on Earth is just this guy who it seems like he's just gonna follow his muse wherever it leads, mm. and it doesn't matter. I think the one where it has, and again, I maybe I need to listen more. Uh, Love is all is the one where I'm like, I don't know. The original's so great. I agree with that, and I just like the passion on that initial performance. 
I, it feels like a weird one to revisit yeah, to me a little bit. I agree. Um, I did re-listen today to uh, Dark Bird is Home. And like you've alluded to in past episodes, that that album is is better than it got due. And, yeah, and I it think is. in a lot of ways, his whole discography <clears throat> is better than the do it get. Like, even there's no leaving now. It got good, not amazing reviews. That album's incredible. Yeah, it is. And I, his whole discography's been awesome. It is. Yeah, it really is. Super talented guy. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he gets talked about enough. I hope he releases some new music soon, or even so even a new music EP, because he's had some great EPs. Yeah, and he's actually had a couple singles over the last year or so. Right. What was that one called? Something uh, River. The River. The River. I think it was just called The River. Yeah. So he's had a couple songs here and there that are really good. Um, okay, another hot thought, Jake. Yep. And this is going to get hot, okay? the Let's talk about the, the terrible, no good, very bad Arcade Fire press rollout yeah. for everything now. So there's been a lot of scuttlebutt in the press recently. A lot of uh, talk on Twitter about how lame Arcade Fire is coming across. I don't know if you saw, but they had a fake Stereo Gum review. Stereo Yum. Stereo Yum. Uh, and it was like a middling review. And they basically went through all the talking points that, that like, mixed reviews would give the album. The, the way that came across to me, I read, I skimmed it and maybe read half of it. Um, the way it came across, it was basically like a joke you or I would have. Or, like, one of the members or one of their press guys had a funny joke about having a premature, premature evaluation. And it kind of expanded into this a little too self-aware, um, or maybe not self-aware Oh, I don't enough. think it's self-aware. But, but it here's needs th- more wokeness. But, yeah. no, here's the thing. is It's, like, it's this weird area where it is self-aware because it's, like... They know the whole thing is about how their album's going to be received, and they they know how you're gonna you're gonna review it, and like we're on to you. But it's not self aware in that that's kind of lame to do. Although we've let Father John Misty get away with it a lot. So here's the thing about this: I think with this whole press rollout, they want to be Father John Misty so bad, yep. and they're forcing the issue on it. It's not coming across as genuine in any way. While I think Josh Tillman slash Father John Misty's interviews and press tour. I really think that's all just him being him and trying to get people to understand what the fuck is happening in his brain and what he's trying to say. So his antics come across as genuine and very interesting. Arcade Fire... Or like he couldn't possibly do it another way. Right, exactly. Arcade Fire, this comes across as lame, forced, and not self-aware at all. They've been getting killed for it. It certainly seems, and I guess that's just part of the breaks of being an aging band that people are seeing is decreasingly relevant. Um, it's been interesting to watch as someone who definitely likes Arcade Fire, but I've never been as invested, I think, certainly as you or as any number of their hordes of dedicated fans. Yeah. Like, I like, I, I really like The Suburbs. I really, really like Funeral. I've listened to Neon Bible only a few times. Like, I've never been someone who's way, way, way in. I'm all invested on Arcade Fire. Um, I, I would count them among my favorite bands yeah. of the 21st century. But that being said, I can still recognize when they're coming across as kind of hacky and lame. And it's okay to be a fan of the band and still be like, well, you guys are being kind of lame right now. Like, they had this whole thing about there was a dress code for their release show that needed to be adhered to. Then they kind of doubled back and said, no, that didn't come from us. But the the guy who wrote it, he kind of didn't really step back from it because he's like, I... Excuse me. He kind of acknowledged, or she, whoever prepared that whole dress code thing, acknowledged that it was sort of lame, but also said, if you come... 
maybe don't wear logos unless they're everything now or Arcade Fire logos. Uh, like, like, try not... It's, it's like, well... Are you taking it back or not? Yeah, because yeah. this still feels like a dress code. Right. Sort so, of a weird move. And that's yeah. the thing with it, is it's like it's it's just weird the stuff they're doing. And it's so on the nose. Like you mentioned, with everything now, it's very the anti-consumerist, yeah. anti-capitalist shtick. It's always been part of their thing is like there's they do it artfully. They do it with a spin that's sort of I don't know about subtle, but certainly um you know, easier to swallow than the way they're shoving this down everyone's throats. Uh, yeah, I agree. There's this really on-the-nose, corporations-equal-bad thing that they have going on. And it's hard for me to, like, rationalize that with them because, like, you guys just signed to a major label now. Right. Like, you, for all intents and purposes, are part of the rock establishment now. You've been a band for over a decade you're looked at as one of the most popular bands. You've just signed to a major label. How can you guys now come across and say, oh, like, everything now, corporations are bad. Like, that doesn't ring true to me. And I don't know if they're being, if they're poking fun at that and they're on another level than I am perceiving it as or what. Well, but it's, <laughs> it seems to be train wrecking this whole album rollout. And I really think the songs themselves are going to get wrapped up in this narrative and it's not going to be received well at all. It's already getting pretty mixed reviews. Yeah, I think Metacritic, it has like two good, two mixed. It's up to four and four now. Oh, four and four. And of course, NME gave it a fucking 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's a couple 100s. And, and then I saw like a 58 and a 60. So we're yeah. all over the place right now. Right right in the sort of the 70 range we're yeah. looking at. Yeah, So not incredibly exciting. No. But you know what is exciting, Sean? What's that, Jake? Um, and I didn't know about this until today when I saw it on our agenda. New Father John Misty album potentially in 2018? Not, not even potentially. I think it's just a lock that it's happening. He said he's mixing it now. Yeah. So he, Isn't he touring? Yeah. He's just doing it all right now. Yeah. So he said at a, at a recent show, my next album's done. I'm mixing or mastering it next week or whatever it is. And... He had mentioned this back during the press cycle for I remember Pure Comedy this. that he's like, I have the next couple albums all planned out and the next one's written. So he's already moving forward with this. I'm pumped we get a new one already next year. Pure Comedy 2, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, yeah, well, I think he joked, but in the article I read it said it might be called Pure Comedy 2. Yeah, he was two. joking. I, he was, okay, he was yeah. joking. I think yeah. a lot of that Yeah, shit. he was joking. I, and I think we're going to actually get a departure from the more mid-tempo balladry of pure comedy. So I think people who maybe enjoyed Fear Fun or Honey Bear More might be more inclined to listen to this 2018 release. I know what he's doing. So he released Pure Comedy, and he said he has two more basically written. What he's got coming out, Sean, what we, this is what we've got. we got Pure Tragedy coming out next, <laughs> and then we've got Pure History to fit in with all of the three types of plays that uh, Shakespeare wrote. Yeah, that Comedies, tragedies, and histories. For, yeah. So th I think we're going to get a lot of Henry IV on the third mm -hmm. of okay. these three okay. albums. I can get down with that. Um, but in, in actually, in truth, in all seriousness, I don't really know what to expect from it. I, I don't know either. I've been hard-pressed like, in thinking about what it's going to be. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm excited. I don't know. I think this is Father John Misty's going to end up being one of these guys who just churns out albums, like, a lot. Yeah, and this listeners of the pod, let us know if you're excited at all, because this is something that I think Sean and I have been loving mutually, Father John, his music, just him in general, and a lot of listeners have 
either not said a whole lot about it or been kind of like he annoys me like like he sort of does to a lot of people so, so I'm curious what your thoughts are yeah very curious because you're going to be in for years and years now of Father John Misty breakdown pods yeah. and how and how much we worship him yeah. until eventually we don't and we backtrack like we have on Arcade Fire yeah and we definitely you definitely can't skip episodes or ever stop no, listening no, to us no you have to listen every minute yeah uh, all right, let's move on, Jake. We have a really busy week coming up in terms of concerts that we are going to. Yep. Uh, Packed so, so this weekend we are going to Fleet Foxes in Portland, Maine, and then we are jet-setting on down to Newport, Rhode Island for the Newport Folk Festival. We're doing an, a weekend across New England listening to yeah, music. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to quickly talk about is that we've been finding over the past few weeks... I think I can speak for you because we've talked about it. Uh, Crack Up, this new Fleet Foxes album, which I feel like we never really got into in as much depth as I wanted to on the podcast. And certainly we don't have time in this episode. But it's growing on us, I think, both a lot. And over the past few days especially and past few weeks also, I've had some of my best listens to it. And I think, listeners, if you're out there and you're in the same boat we were in where you kind of didn't love it or couldn't get into it, Take some time to just let this album wash over yeah, you because yeah. there are some seriously beautiful moments on Crack Up. There really are, and I'm I'm happy that I finally come around on it because this was something that was kind of upsetting to me when it first came out that I couldn't get into it and I was worried there was something wrong with me. You know, do you not think I'm pretty anymore? Yep. That sort of thing with Fleet Foxes. And uh, I'm glad to say that we've we figured it out. We got through the rough patch, and I'm really enjoying Crack Up. It does feel like I've we've we've both turned a corner on it, and um, I have to agree with Josh Tillman. Um, can, how many times can we bring him up on this episode? Do you think this is like the Josh Tillman Tillman cast? It, it is. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Um, he said when the album came out, and he tweeted like, "Great album by a group group of people I miss." Um, and someone responded, like, what's your favorite track? He said, Memphis is a stunner, speaking about I should see Memphis. That's quickly become, like, one of my favorites, if yeah. not my favorite song on the album. Yeah, it finally dawned on me a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh, this is why he, this is one of his favorites. This is why he said it's a stunner. Because it really is. It's beautiful. It's 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 gorgeous. And yeah. the way Robin Pecknold sings on it, I, I think now more than I ever did before, I'm, I'm appreciating the way he's challenging himself to sing in different ways. Because his whole thing is always, like, I have this high sort of voice I can really project and that's sort of the Fleet Fox's shtick but on this album he's doing that stuff like on Arroyo Seco yeah. where he's pulling it back and he's singing right. and sort of like almost mumbling and right. then when I should see Memphis it's all lower voice yeah. Um, yeah really really good stuff yeah so we get to see them this Thursday night it's funny because Fleet Foxes is actually going to be at Newport Folk Festival they just happen to be playing on Friday the day we don't have a ticket for which also happens to be the strongest day of the festival in our opinion and Big Thief is also playing on Friday Big Thief right? Ben Gibbard Hooray for the Riff Raff um, Regina Spector there's a lot of big names that I really wish we were seeing on Friday that we're not. We're missing some big ones, and it, we would have missed Fleet Foxes. Luckily, we're not because we're going up to Thompson's Point, I yep. think is the name of the venue in yep. Maine. Big shout, big friends of the pod, sort of a brand new venue. Um, and so I was wondering, Sean, I think it's always cool when you get to see a band where you pretty much know their whole discography, uh-huh. you really enjoy their whole discography. Are there songs you're most excited to see? Is there a, an album or couple of like sort of an era of Fleet Foxes you're most excited to see live? It's funny I actually for some reason just haven't given a lot of thought to this because I neither. it's 
I'm actually just excited to be outside. It's an outdoor venue near the water in Portland and just be hearing Fleet Foxes, which is always I associate with nature. So it's just going to be cool to be outside on a summer night hearing their music. In terms of what I would like to hear, obviously we are more inclined to love the the first album and the Sun Giant EP. I would love to hear those songs. I'm interested to hear how some of the new songs translate live and compare to what their old ones sound like. Oh yeah, I definitely want, I mean, I hope they give us some of all of it, and definitely including a lot of the new record. Um, I, I'd like to hear like English House or yeah. something from the Sun Giant EP. Yeah. I'd like to hear how that would go. I feel like they'll play Mykonos. I think they'll play Mykonos. Yeah. 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 It, it, it should be a really cool show, and I'm glad that we don't have to miss out after No, no all. Me, too. me too. I'm actually glad it's going to be it, their own show, so they can play yeah. longer. And then you don't have to worry about the festival crowds and everything and, and having a decent view for them. So I'm glad we're, we're seeing them on their own. So speaking of Newport Folk Fest, let's jump in to a little embrace debate. We're not going to time it. It's not going to be a formal one. But we have some questions for each other and some fun over-unders and predictions that we're going to do for the festival. And then next week we'll come back and we'll kind of see how all of our predictions played out. Sounds good. So let's start off, Jake. Who is the artist you are most excited to see, given that we are not going on Friday? We just have these Saturday and Sunday lineups yeah. to see. So basically, if we had been going on Friday, Fleet Foxes and Big Thief would be the ones. And so it's a bummer right. that we're not going on right. Friday. That being said, uh, we still have Saturday and Sunday. There's some really, really good artists going those days. The ones that jump out to me, I think if I had to pick, um, I, I think my pick is going to be Whitney playing on Sunday on the quad stage, mm, Sean, mm. Um, because I felt that when we saw them at um, uh, Boston Calling. At the Delta Blue stage. <laughs> no, no, it was on the something green stage. Yes. Red stage. The green stage green didn't stage. have a sponsor. You're right. So it was on the green stage. You're right. Um, and... I felt it was the first performance we saw. We got there halfway through. We didn't have a great spot. I feel like I didn't totally get to see them. And this was one of my favorite records from last year. It was yeah. in my top two. I think it was number two behind yeah. Frank Ocean. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be excited to see Whitney, for sure. Yeah, there's. I, I'm excited for them as well. I'm also excited for Pine Grove, who, who we have seen before. So someone I haven't seen before that I'm very excited about is actually Drive-By Truckers. From what I understand, mm. they put on an awesome live show. And I have gotten into their last album a lot, American Band, uh, this year. And I've also listened to some of their past stuff. So I'm, I'm really, really excited for Drive-By Truckers. Um, Sean, and we can edit this out if you want. I think you actually made a mistake because I noticed on the museum stage from 10 to 10.50 each day, there's an open mic. Was Did you mean to say that? <laughs> Was that your actual choice? Uh, actually, no. I meant to say Grandma's Hands Band at uh, uh, 12.35 at the fourth stage. You know who I think it should be interesting to see, although I wish I knew his stuff more, is John Prine. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I listened to some of his stuff yesterday. He's like kind of an alt-country yep. stalwart, an old yep. pioneer of, of alt-country. Um, so let me ask you this. Here's another question. What's the best stage... So there's a few stages at this yeah. at this uh, festival. So as it, it depends on the day. Um, so on Saturday, I think it has to be the fourth stage. You have Wilco as the headliner there. You have Avid Brothers before them, who put on an amazing festival show. I've seen that at Boston Calling before. Angel Olsen, who I'm also very excited to see, and then you also have Offa Rex, who is a combination of the Decemberists and. 
I forget what her name is, but she's like a traditional folk singer. And they just came out with a new album. I really like a couple of the songs, actually. They're in that afternoon slot where you don't expect much to be happening. I feel like that could be a really cool uh, performance, and I think that rounds off a really strong stage day. Especially Jake, come on. Grandma's Hands is playing at the fourth stage on Saturday, too. So That definitely looks like the strongest overall lineup for a stage between the two days because I'm looking at Sunday right now, and it's pretty spread out. It's it sort of is. like you got you got Pine Grove. Are they on at the same time as Whitney? Oh, no, they're right before Whitney. Okay, so I'll yeah. be able to catch at least both of them. Here's one thing I'm looking forward to, Sean. It, if my memory serves... Um, Newport has more of a relaxed vibe oh than my Boston God. Calling did. So much more relaxed, so much more friendly. Yeah. Uh, there's lots folk of kid. Well, hey, hey, folk. When you come out to folk, 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 um, there's a lot of kids and families there. So it's, it is much more of a relaxed vibe. There's less people yep. there as well. They really limit the amount of people who can come in. It makes for one of the best festival experiences I've ever had. Yeah, it, it is a. Um it is a great experience. Very relaxed. And I'm definitely looking forward to that. Did you have a pick for Sunday for a best stage? Sunday? I have a harder time. I, I, I think I just have to go quad stage because Whitney is there and Dr. Dog, if we happen to catch them, I think would be cool. And I've listened to that Margaret Glaspy album before, too, which is pretty good. Emotions and math. And I guess I'm excited to see what like American acoustic is all about. I like acoustic guitars. Sure. Do you think they'll play acoustic guitars? What about choir, choir, choir? I don't know what that is. <laughs> See, this is what happens with some of these, like, earlier-in-the-day artists at Newport. It's people you've definitely never heard of, yeah. but I th- that still put on cool performances. So there's going to be, I think, even more so this year, things that, we're not, that aren't on our radar, but that end up being really good. So what we have dubbed this, Jake, is the Edward Sharp under-the-radar performance nominee. Yeah. Because last year... We didn't really have Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros on our radar as as a show that we really wanted to see. Because I actually didn't know they still existed as a band anymore. Right. I just thought they like put out Home and whatever <laughs> that whole sort of that early record. I thought they had a second one and I thought they hadn't existed since like 2012. It turns out they're very much a band still. And they put on an amazing show yeah. that ended up being one of the highlights of the whole festival. So who is going to be the Edward Sharp of this year's festival, Jake. So I got a couple thoughts for you. One, maybe John Prine. I don't think in that same sense, but in more of a Graham Nash sense. Remember when we yes. saw Graham Nash yes. at uh, Newport? He was he was pretty great, and he's like this older musician who has all the chops. He's been doing it for a long time. I think where that will kind of be, it'll be detracted from is I don't know John Prine that well. Right. Um, maybe uh, someone like. John Paul White, who I think is in that band, The Civil Wars. Have okay. you listened to them at all? I have, yeah, in passing. Um, I, at least I think that's I, who it I is. I got one for you. Yeah. I got one for you, and it's someone that I, I, we're probably not going to see, actually, because we're probably going to be seeing Avett Brothers during this time. But Jim James on oh, the quad stage. Yep. He is the lead singer of My Morning Jacket. He has a solo career that people really seem to enjoy. It's a lot more folky and, I think, kind of Americana-based. From what I understand, he puts on a good show, too. I think that could be a good nomination for that. Again, maybe this is a situation where it's like, for some reason, it's too crowded at the fourth stage to see Avett Brothers or something, and we are just like, fuck it, let's go to the quad stage and hang out here because it's not as crowded, and maybe we ended up seeing them somehow. Who knows? But Could be. Um, here's a question for you, Sean. 
What do you think is the worst stage conflict we've got? I have one off the top that I think could be potentially... What you got? Um, so, it looks like we have Pine Grove from 115 to 2 on Sunday mm-hmm. on the Harbor stage. And we have Michael Kiwanuka kicking off 15 minutes before 2. Yeah. Mary-Kate has gotten into big friend of the pod, Mary-Kate, who's coming along to the festival has gotten into Michael Kiwanuka might be a split up moment we might have to yeah part wait, that's that's one there the other one that I was noticing was actually Avit Brothers at 440 on Saturday they're playing till 545 uh, that overlaps very slightly with who I'm most excited to see which is Drive By Truckers mm. at 540 so that might be a I have to leave Avit Brothers a little early head over maybe catch the end of Jim James and then see drive-by truckers. So that I, I think that's the only one that really stands out to me. The rest, I think, are pretty... Oh, actually, you know what? Wilco in drive-by truckers has a mm. bad overlap, too. So I'm gonna have, I am gonna have some hard Ooh. decisions to make. That one is tough. And I, I, got, I don't know, man, because the possibility of getting anything from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot outweighs what little I do like by Drive By Truckers, which yeah. is that one album. I didn't listen to it that much. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. We might have to... Maybe that might be a split up there. There's no chance I'm missing Drive By Truckers. So that Any might of it? Be, no. No, I, I need to see their whole set. Um, so that could be a tough one for us. What do you think is the better day? I think it's Saturday, easily. Um, yeah, I think overall it's Saturday, although I'm really excited for Pine Grove and Whitney on Sunday. Well, you might not be seeing Pine Grove, Jake. Why is that? You you might be seeing Michael Kiwanuka. Oh, no. I'll probably stick around okay. for Pine Grove, okay. is my thought. Okay. okay. But, I mean, it might end up being one of those things where we have to break right. up as a group right. in some way. We might actually have to. Maybe we, like, set up chairs and, yeah. like, have a stage where we have a home base or yes, something. Yes, we should do that. I don't know. It's definitely going to be less stressful than Boston Calling. Oh, for sure. The crowd would fill in and it'd be like, oh, a football field is full of people. Yep. Um, See, now last year, Jake, we set up shop at the Fort stage, but we were pretty far away. We were. I There's a lot of people at the Fort stage who, like, I would like to be closer for than we were last year. Yeah. Because uh, it felt like we were a little detached from the music, actually, at the fort. And it felt more of just like, a, this is where we hang out. This isn't where we actually watch music. Where we had the blanket. So I would like to maybe hook around to the other side and maybe get a little bit closer than we were. It seemed like we were really far away. We can figure that out when we get there, that's though. A, I think that's a good strategy. Yeah. We, but we got to talk also, Sean, is weather. Because this is a yeah. uh, late July music festival. And last year, the weather took us a little bit off guard. Not that we were should have been shocked or whatever. So we got an over-under here. Are yep. we thinking... And it looks like the forecast is actually a little on the cooler side, especially compared to last year. Over-under... 84 degrees is the highest temperature. So I'm looking at the forecast now. And granted, this could just absolutely change. Yeah, yeah. It's we like thunder snow. <laughs> yeah. It's looking like rain potentially on Saturday. Hmm. And it looks like mid-70s overall, which I am all about. Me too. I think we're going to go. But you know we what? we got to move the line. You know what yeah, we probably do. You know what always ends up happening, though, is the forecast says one thing. And then you hit like two in the afternoon, yep. and you're like, "Wait, there's no chance it's in the 70s. It feels like it's 86 right now, yep. and it just is." Or it's supposed to rain 
the clouds break mm. and it gets a lot hotter than you think. Do we want to stick with 84? Do you want to go maybe uh, drop it to 80? Let's let's drop it to 80. Let's see if it breaks 80. All right. Uh, what what do you have for this? Uh, I'm going to take the over just as a precaution. It's basically a, a reverse jinx. You're hedging your bets. Yeah, it's a reverse yeah. jinx because I don't want it to get any hotter than than that. Yeah, I was gonna do the same, but since you've gone over, I'll just take the under. So well, we'll it's a win-win for you if we'll you get go, it. Yeah, that's true. Sean under, and it really doesn't like matter at all either right. way. Uh, we'll go Sean under, Jake over. Okay, here's one, Jake. This is a fun one. Over or under six Trump references during the weekend's performances. So last year, if you recall, I think there was two, and it was just the primaries. So yep. this is Newport's a place where this is a hot-button thing. It's full of like a lot of liberals that go there. Sure. Um, the artists themselves are, are caught up in that Newport folk spirit. They're trying to all be Bob Dylan up there, and there's going to be some references. H- how many, though? Is six too many? So Do we need to move the line? Here's the thing. Do we have it as it's just the ones we catch personally, right? Yes. So we'll count, have some sort of a sum by the end, because yeah. we might see some of different performances. Yeah. I think it's a decent number, and yeah. I could see you know, maybe some people speaking out. I... Maybe want to take the slight under. Yeah, I'm feeling like a five. I, I, I'm thinking maybe we need to change this line. That's cause just because you like it. Well, now. well, no, because I was thinking the same thing. I, we, okay. If we both right. want to take the under, then I think we need to change the line. Where, okay, where would you take Let's the over? Let's set it at. I, you know, I, I have a sneaky feeling it was going to be less than you think. I, let's put it at three and a half. Three. And, okay. Let's put it at three and a half. And then if you still want the under. Hmm. I'll take the under. I'll ride on the under for that. I don't hate the under. Okay, Jake under, Sean over. All right, so we're going three and a half there. Yep. Okay, here's another one. Trump for you, himself Jake. comes. What will we do? Because <laughs> all he does is reference himself. True. It would be an interesting True. situation. We'd be if you hit the over, you'd be in the money. Yeah. Uh, over under a hundred dollars spent on food and beverages throughout the weekend. Now it's an easy this over. Is, this is just on the festival grounds, oh, Jake. Oh. Not at, not dinners or drinks after the fact. Because that's is what just, adds up. This is just on the festival grounds. That lobster dinner we had, that lobster roll we had, was easily like forty bucks. Yeah, just like it didn't nourish my body for long. <laughs> um, I think I'm gonna go. Under just because I'm going to try my fucking best not to spend that amount of money on on fair food. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that is going to kill you is if we end up buying a bunch of beer tokens again, like we did last year. How much should we spend on that again? Like 60, 70 bucks probably. Because it's really nice, Jake, to be outside at the beer pier. The weather, if the weather's really nice, if it's mid 70s. I'm going to be like, give me all the beer tokens in the world. Yeah. You know, I'm going to spend over $100 on just that. So we have to have separate over-unders here, yeah. right? So yeah. So you're bidding an over for yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm actually going to go over here because our, w- this is both days combined, I'm assuming, right? Oh, it's both days combined. All right. I, I'll take the over for myself. Okay. I'll take a slight over. Okay. Okay. It feels like, you know, I mean, because. We're okay. We'll both go over. If last year was any indication of how our behavior will be just this year, reckless spending. Yeah, um, just spending everything on women, wine, and song. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's a question for you, Sean. Okay. This one, this okay. one is especially germane for you. Yeah. Will one of us have an issue getting into the festival grounds due to ticket complications? My rational brain says no. 
Didn't my, you buy them direct from Newport? I bought them direct this year, unlike last year, yep. where I had to do jump through all sorts of hoops and bought a fake ticket. This time around, my rational brain says no. When I'm standing in line, though, I'm still going to be a little anxious that my ticket just won't work. I'm going to say no to this, but I'm still going to be worried. I'm going to say no as well. Okay. I just don't... I mean, like, we... I think Mary-Kate bought ours directly through Newport. I don't yeah. think there's any risk. No. I'll watch, watch me get sent out. I, I won't get to stay. Cast asunder. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Last one. And this is kind of a joke. But will one of us succumb to alcohol and or... Sun poisoning. Well, because this happened to two of us last year. I, um, <laughs> as I've alluded a couple of times during this podcast, had maybe one or two too many swigs of drink <laughs> throughout the course of the second day of the festival. Um, too much mead. Yeah, yeah. Too much wine, women, and song, or whatever it is. Um, definitely. <laughs> big shout out to my dad. Yeah, big friend of the pod. Stonehands is a big, big friend of the pod. Um, and then sun poisoning, Mary Kate, first day during Father John Misty and Graham Nash, when it was like maybe 101 degrees, no cloud cover, <laughs> uh, ended up getting like kind of sick. She didn't throw up, I don't think, but she was like not feeling well at all and had it, to go like find a spot to sit. We were all sort of dehydrated that day. It was one of the hottest days I've ever been outside for an extended amount of time. Yeah. And- so that was rough. So uh, do you think that we'll learn? I, this is basically, you have to, this is more for you than me, I think. Yeah. You basically have to, the, the question here is, do you think any of us will make the same mistakes again this year? I don't think we will, and I think a lot of that has to do with the weather. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I don't think any of us will end up, you know, with our head in the toilet this time around. I just have a feeling that won't happen. Yeah. Um, it wasn't fun for us because last one of the time. big reasons was we were stuck in traffic for about two hours trying to get out of the parking lot, and we were just passing back, uh, you know, an adult beverage that yes. really, you know, did us in later that night. Only while the car was off and parked. That's correct. <laughs> so stay tuned for our episode next week where we reveal all of the results of our over unders and our predictions here. So let's wrap up the episode, Jake, with a quick Mount Rushmore. We have somehow gotten back into Arctic Monkeys all of a sudden, where we've been listening to them. Well, it was because of a tweet from a uh, big friend of the right. pod, big supporter of the pod, Stephen Hyden, that's music right. critic. That's right. That's right. Peers, each one of us. Now, he tweeted out that like Arctic Monkeys are actually like sort of underrated. He didn't say that in so many words, but he was like... Well, he said... He, he was like, do they pass the five album test? He's like, no one really brings them up as... An option, and the five album test is if you have like five great albums right in a row. Yeah, back um, to back to back to back. I, to back. I, I, I say personally for me, yes, yeah, they do. But I think the one maybe weak spot people can point to is Humbug. Yeah, and the thing is, is the highs on Humbug are really, really high. Yeah, and so what we did this week for Mount Rushmore is um, uh, Arctic Monkeys songs, and so Sean has B sides and non album songs. I'm just taking album songs. Yeah. So here's mine, and and you'll see with one quandary I had why I think you can make an argument for Humbug. Humbug. Mm. Humbag. It's a, <laughs> not as good an album name. Um, so here are mine. I included The View from the Afternoon, uh, the opening track from their first album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not. It I think it's my favorite Arctic Monkey still after all uh, song still after all these after years. After all these years. <laughs> right. After all this time. Uh, it, it still stands out as like it was the thing that first got me into them. Just an incredible song. Um, two, I got Brian Storm uh, from 
For what's the name of that second album? Why can't I remember it? Um, it is Favorite Worst Nightmare. Did you almost just say Fluorescent Adolescent? I did. So I did. did I. <laughs> I did. So yeah, it's did the I. F. It was the F screwed me up. I, I was like, wait, no, that's not Because I was about to say from, from Fluorescent Adolescent. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's the name of a song yeah. on there. I was also, like, I know it's an F. Also a really good song. Uh, Brian Storm is a riff fest and mm. fast guitar fest. Mm-hmm. It's actually incredible to see them play it live because they go full speed. And the fact that Alex Turner can play... This song on guitar and sing it at the same There's time. There's like really complex lyrics on here too. Yep. It like and they spill out of his mouth. And weird, weird rhythms that yeah. aren't exactly like intuitive to play on guitar while you sing over it. And yeah, the riffs are fast. Um, then I have the Hellcat Spangled Shalala from Suck It and See, which Hot Thought I think is a better album than I am, or if not better, it, I definitely would rather listen to it. And then fourth, I have Crying Lightning from Humbug, and this is where. I think Humbug has its shot at passing part of the five albums test because it was between this and Cornerstone for me. Cornerstone yeah. was almost an entry yeah. on my Mount Rushmore. So two of my potentially favorite Monkey songs. And dude, for me, my propeller would be in that conversation yep. too, oh, along with Crying Lightning and Cornerstone. Humbug, I was actually listening back to some of the tracks today. I got to be honest, like I, in certain moods, I like it better than AM. And there's sometimes where I'd rather listen to it than maybe that first album at this point now, just because it depends on the type of monkeys that you want to be listening to. If it's that, you know, very youthful, hard rock sound of the first couple albums, you have that. But then Humbug is that transition where they went out to the desert with with Josh Holm from Queens of the Stone yeah. Age, recorded this album. It was a real turning point for them as a band. It is really interesting to go back and listen I to. I think you could argue that each of their albums even, even between their first and second albums, have a distinct sound because oh, yeah. the first sure. record is more like power chord, rock, and it's riff-based, but it's not in the same way. Once you get to Favorite Wars Nightmare, it's all those like almost like Middle Eastern sounding riffs. Yeah, Little yeah, half-step yeah. guitar like riffs. And, yeah. But then you also get songs like Do Me a Favor and 505 yep. and like Do the Bad Thing that have these eerie slower parts to them that have this atmosphere, which yep. is kind of alluding to what they would get to on Humbug. So fascinating discography. Um, and for my Mount Rushmore, like Jake said, I wanted to do B-sides and non-albums because the story on Arctic Monkeys is their albums are all great. They also have a wealth of unreleased, well, they're released, but they're just not on albums, of other songs that are just as good. So my Mount Rushmore, I have Despair in the Departure Lounge, which is from the Who the Fuck Are Arctic Monkeys EP. This is just kind of an Alex Turner singer-songwriter, um, like clean-sounding Guitar vehicle, v- yeah, yeah. You Diddy. know when people will call a movie like <laughs> yes. the new Tom Cruise vehicle, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mission Impossible Six. Uh, I also have the uh, I have Stop the World. I want to get off with you. Uh, real subtle, Alex. Decent little pun. That is the B side to Why Do You Only Call Me When You're High. Uh, so that is from the AM sessions. This song's awesome. Really good melodies on here. Nice and bouncy. Couple long track names. There. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah. How's that for input from me? Pretty good. So check yeah. that one out, guys. I also have Bigger Boys and Stolen Sweethearts. This is right in the vein of that first album. Uh, could have easily been included on there. I forget, actually, what the name of the EP is, but it's worth checking out. Could just be a B-side, actually. I don't remember. But that's definitely worth checking out. And then my last one is uh, Who the Fuck Are Arctic Monkeys? This is from the titular uh, EP of this song. 
And it's all about, like, selling out and how, like, they're just going to do whatever the fuck they want as, like, 19-year-old British kids. Hey, you and know that they're never going to sell out. They're going to do their own thing. And honestly, they've stood pretty true to that. They have changed their sound a lot from that era and have turned into this whole other thing. They certainly have followed their muse in mm-hmm. whichever way it's taken them. Um, with regards to selling out, not that I care, it doesn't bother me when bands sell out. You could argue with AM. They did some of that like commercial Jake, stuff. Fun fact, listeners, Jake hates AM. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. Hates it. No. We were talking before the episode about how bad of a song do I want to know is his words not mine right. I love that song this is Jake hates AM that was this week's episode no 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 no, 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 no. this has been a complete bastardization of what I said if in fact listeners the my record will show that I listen to AM so much both at college parties and just on from my own listens that I have become tired of some of those songs and all I was making a point about is that they got very commercial with that record. Like they they became more successful than ever before. If you look at Spotify, they blew up in a whole new way to new audiences that had never even listened to their older stuff. Yeah, it's in some actually ways. insane how many listens those songs like have. Like when we saw them live with the Orwells opening for them, the crowd was surprisingly young. It was, it like was teenage girls. It was yeah. like teenage girls. And I it's mean, like, Alex Turner is a dreamy guy, so sure I, it is. Me, sure but. is. But they, I mean, what I'm saying is they got into a whole new market of yeah. youth with this true, new record. True. Um, no, I don't hate AM, and I, I, I resent the implication. Is, I do. It's your wait. It's your least favorite. Arctic no, Monkeys album? it's not. Oh, really? Humbug is. Oh, okay. What's your least favorite? Um. I don't even like saying Humbug is my least favorite. I, so What is? Uh, humbug. Yeah, right. It has to be. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know, like, what are we going to do? Pick the first one? No. Like, I no. don't know what you could pick. No. I think if I'm ranking them quick, okay. I go. Um, whatever people say, I'm still king for me. Okay. Then I'm going to go. Um, just for me personally, I'm weighing on Suck It and See. Yep. So I might put that second. Then I think I end up going, I think, um, I almost called it fluorescent adolescent again. <laughs> Favorite worst nightmare is probably third. Okay. Then I am, then humbug. Okay. At this um, point. Mine are all tied at number one. Okay. Unbelievable. You know, no, that, really, if I'm going to do it. From honestly, the king of rankings, that's an I, incredible. I know, I know, I know. Off the top of my head, just right now, what I feel, I'm going to go favorite worst nightmare first. Okay. I'm going to go whatever people say I am second. I'm going <sighs> suck it and see third AM fourth humbug fifth. Huh, but, Sean? Sounds like three, sounds like we both had AM in the, the same slot. But that three through five, maybe you hate AM. Could honestly all just be. I've listened too much too. Okay, I'm a little sick of it. Yeah, I don't want to listen to knee socks for the hundredth time. No, I don't. Need, whoa, sounds like this is the vitriol of someone who hates AM. <laughs> You've gone mad with power. Honestly, I think if I'm pick like uh, among my favorite bands, Arctic Monkeys are the hardest to rank their discography for me. It really is. I am so it's so hard for me. I'm afraid of ranking them and sticking to a story on them. I don't. I I usually shy away from ranking them because I don't like it. So this was political in a sense because your avoidance of it was like it is political. It's like you don't want to have a record that you have to own up to. I know. Come election season. I really don't. Well, I don't blame really you because, don't. honestly, when AM came out, I thought it was my favorite. Arctic I thought it was mine, too. I was like, this is the best album. For a little while. And then I was, I just realized over time, I, I, I tired of it a little bit. But, like, right now, I, I, I feel really bad saying Humbug is my least favorite because, like, it's 
almost not. I, but I go back and forth. Yep. It's so hard. Listeners, if you're Arctic Monkeys fans, let us know how it ranks for you. I think it's different depending on who you talk to. It's all going to be different answers. That's how strong their discography well, is. Well, I know. I think a lot of our personal friends and friends of the pod are Arctic Monkeys listeners and do have all different favorites. Yeah. Like there's like like you, I think there's a lot of favorite worst yeah. nightmare fans out there yeah. who picked that as first. Um, so yeah, there's yeah. there's some, and I think suck it and see is maybe the most variable in their discography. Is, some people is. really don't like it and yeah. put it last. I have always yeah. had a really soft spot for it um, because I love that more singer-songwriter, Alex Turner-centric side of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, listeners, let us know. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay tuned after the, uh, the music for some Game of Thrones talk if you're into that. Thanks, everybody. Peace. So we're on. We're on. We're on the mic. Uh, listeners, we're joined today by big friend of the pod, first appearance ever, uh, Josh Gregoire. How you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Long time listener, first time barging into Sean's house, because mm. you told me we'd be talking about Game of Thrones. You didn't have to break the door down, but it, it's all right that you well, did. That's how yes. For me, it's all right. I would have opened it. That's how passionate I am, yes. Yep. So we're doing our now weekly segment Thrones thoughts, where we discuss working title Game of Thrones. Yep. So this is what the third week in a row we did a little bit of a preview two weeks ago, yep. right? Yeah. Did we do that? Um, I think we did. Yeah, we were like, it's coming back. Are you excited? Yeah. And Basically. then uh, we discussed episode one last week. We're going to discuss episode two this week. Yeah. What was the name of this episode, Josh? Uh, Stormborn. Stormborn. I think it was Stormborn. Stormborn. Yeah. First one was Dragon. Stone? Dragonstone. The second okay. one was Stormborn. So they're both kind of referring to the same thing. They're both kind of talking about Daenerys, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. So I feel like we need to gauge where we're all at in terms of liking this show so far, in terms okay. of this season. I think I'm hotter on it than Sean is because Sean seems very low. I have felt like they've been okay episodes. They've been pretty good and I feel like things are starting to build. I like some of like the stuff that's going on with Arya. The stuff that's going on with Danny is interesting to me. With Tyrion, uh, some of the stuff in Winterfell is all right. Here's the deal with this show this season. It's still it's still very entertaining. It's still beautifully shot and acted. It looks great. It's a it's a blockbuster TV show. But when we think of it as an actual TV show. I think it has too much to get done in the episodes that are left to make it like a subtly or, or to have like character development basically is is what I'm trying to say. Like there's no there's just a lot of exposition in the dialogue that frankly like wasn't there in the first few seasons. They're just I feel like they're trying to stuff things in and for that I think some things come across as a little bit flat. Like, for example, that scene where they where Daenerys and Tyrion and her whole crew were talking about the prince that was promised and Missande or whatever her name is. Yeah. Way too close to Melisandre, actually, by the way. Somewhat close, yep. Relatively sure. She's like, oh no, no. 
That prophecy is actually gender neutral. It could mean the prince that was promised or the princess that was promised. Like, oh, thanks for the fucking footnote that you just gave to good this on, entire um, scene. Good on Westerosi fortune tellers to be very uh, progressive. <laughs> gender agnostic. Too. Yeah. So uh, it's there's a lot to fit into this show. And you have characters like the Sand Snakes who were never developed well to begin with. R.I.P. Just getting stuffed into the Game of Thrones meat grinder and and expecting people to care even though they were never well fleshed out or interesting characters to begin with. So this is part of what I want to get into with Josh here because so I agree with you as just a TV show Thrones watcher, viewer. I felt the same, where the Sand Snake's like, oh, I never got super connected. I'm curious, Josh, as someone who has delved more into the books and the extended lore mm. of Thrones okay. and has more of a working knowledge, was that a more impactful thing for you or was it a similar thing as, like, you sort of, you didn't get to know them that well on but screen? The, the Sand Snakes? Yeah. Uh, no, Sand Snakes kind of universally sucked, didn't they? <laughs> okay. I, I read the books and even in the books I wasn't like... They they were kind of a boring character to follow. Okay. They're just locked in a tower for like a book or yeah, a book or two. Definitely one book. They just kind of get shoved in a tower and just like plot about how they're gonna get out. I mean, in this one they kind of did something in the show, but it really wasn't to their credit. Mm-hmm. They're kind of really poorly wrote, like campy, almost like action movie dialogue. Yes, yeah. Is that was like they, a they, really they, blip? A real big blip for Game of Thrones. They just don't always jive with the rest of the show. They they do feel shoehorned in there, and I think the way they've handled Dorne in general hasn't been great as just a, as a show watcher. Like they had um, Oberyn's brother, what's it, just Prince Doran, Doran, right? He's there. You think he's going to be an important character, and then he gets killed off, and then so. I just don't think any of the Dorne stuff has been particularly interesting once Oberyn really died. Really from the start, nah. It's, it, been, it's been pretty shit, hasn't it? Yeah, so I, I think that is an example of later season Game of Thrones being like, okay, how are we going to fit these characters in now when we already have all these other ones that people love and have come to know over seasons and seasons? Those first three, four seasons hold up as a great just TV show. And I think that's why so many people ended up getting hooked on it. It's because it had a gr- good character development, good pacing of the episodes. It, they they didn't do that thing that has happened in later seasons where they, they're just doing all setup basically, for an entire episode. And it's really obvious where it's like, oh, nothing's going to happen this episode. Like, they did less of that, I feel like, in the first few seasons. I'm curious what your <clears throat> both your thoughts were on the scene with Euron, Yara, Theon. Um... Thoughts on the Greyjoys? Because, again, it feels like these are characters where, especially Euron and Yara, they haven't been around for all of the show, right? Or they've been around for what? Yara's been around since Theon went Season to, 2, right? Uh, I guess it has been two, a while. Yeah. Euron's but, relatively But it's not like show. Yara's been in a ton of episodes. Right. She went away for, like, a couple seasons and then came back, I think, last season. And I generally like her. And I guess my takeaway was I was actually disappointed when, with 10 minutes left to go in the show, because I'm constantly monitoring on my phone yeah. how much time I have, mm-hmm. like, left in the show, because I want to know how much can still happen, yeah. like, feasibly. I was disappointed when a battle sequence started because those are usually my least favorite scenes. What are your thoughts on that, Josh? Sean and I have talked about this before. About Euron? No, just about like battle sequences. Or yeah, or, or any of that, really. I mean, um, they kind of happen sequentially. I mean, they happen in very key parts of the show. Yeah. Where every one doesn't feel really out of place. Except for the, the Euron one kind of did feel a little yeah, out of place. Yeah, it did. It just kind of happened. And a lot of whole like plot holes I won't get into, but... 
the battle scenes are supposed to be these like big climaxes, but I don't think those are the climaxes that people like us really want. I think most people would point to like, <clears throat> sorry, the um, oh what happened in the season where Tyrion killed Tywin. I, I feel so bad. Oh. The resident expert and totally was that uh, the at the, at the wall two, at the right? wall, right? The, yeah, yeah. The whole episode was just dedicated to the battle at the wall, right? And then I think, or I think it might be a later season because Tyrion's going to Marine at that point, right? Oh, when he kills question. when he kills Tywin, that's like the climax probably for us. Yeah, because it's two very huge character right. moments where something like. The Battle of the Wall will feel... It's a climax, but it's not like the one we're kind of looking for. Yeah. Something that's more like one-on-one character development kind of stuff. Like, maybe the Viper versus the Mountain. Right. You're like, holy shit. <clears throat> right, this right, is right. Because it's, it's like only has like, other meaning behind yeah. it. Yeah. And I agree with you about the, the Euron battle. That came out of nowhere. And Euron isn't a character that's been developed at all. And now we ex- it, the viewers are expected to hate him as much as one of the other villains and that just isn't happening for me. He is kind of a very repugnant dude though. Oh yeah, he's not, yeah, he's, he's a, a great guy. he comes he across like hateable. a piece of shit. Like sh- sure, but like we haven't really seen him do much yet. So it's like I don't really It does feel like he can't compare to Ramsey or certainly no, Joffrey oh, no. in terms of the effect he's having on me as a viewer. Right. Right. I don't think they have enough time to be able no. to do that either, which is what I mean by things feel like they're being forced in. Like I felt that battle was forced in and I wasn't super taken by it either. I was just like, oh, a battle, because it feels like they need to have a battle right they here. They used it kind of like to advance the Daenerys part. Right. Because I think people it's are... It's going to force her hand a little people bit. People are expecting right. a lot of like battle sequence. They right. talked about all of the battles they're trying to have right. in the first like half an hour of this episode, where they were like, oh, we're just going to send the Unsullied to take Castle Rock, right. and then take the other ones and siege King's Landing with like all of these armies... So I, I think they're kind of outlining what they're trying to do, and yeah. now maybe that's probably not going to happen anymore. I've I thought this season, <clears throat> maybe more than I've noticed before, it's possible there's other instances you could point out. They're doing a lot of, in two episodes, there's already two scenes of people like literally moving things around a map Yeah, and explaining it that way. Yep. I don't know, that, I think that's actually interesting to me, and I kind of like it. It I, does yeah. feel a, maybe a bit like on the nose, like... They sort of have these giant maps that they can explain stuff with. I guess it doesn't. It's not a bad thing. I, it, I've actually kind of enjoyed it. I guess. No, I, I like the maps too, but I know what you mean because there's so many different places and armies and people and factions that they kind of have to do it that way. I think it is an effective way to do it. Um, but to go back to the point about that battle with Euron coming out of nowhere. Yeah. If we look back at season five, and I think one of the best episodes Game of Thrones has ever done, Hard Home, that was an episode where a battle came out of nowhere. But it was amazing. I think that's the best action piece the show has ever done. Wait, actually, the, the, the Jon Snow the, when he goes to meet the, the wildlings at Hard Home. Oh right, yeah. and, the and, and the White Walkers attack. It, that comes out of nowhere. You don't expect that, yeah. and it ended up being a high point of that entire season. And uh, I think the way they handled this Euron attack was just the complete opposite. Like the the Hard Home stuff. It built and built and built, and you're like, wait, what's going to happen? That was the first time we really got to see the White Walkers. And then this Euron thing just comes out of nowhere and doesn't really have a payoff. You have Theon jumping overboard. And I think Theon is probably the best developed character out of anyone that was shown there. Certainly that group. And probably the one that we'd be most interested in. But I I had a hard time even really caring about that. I was like, oh, okay, like Theon is gone and left his sister. But, like, I don't know. I don't 
care that much about that storyline. Well, even at Hard Home, it showed you something. It showed you that White Walkers can be killed by Valyrian steel. Yep. Where this one just kind of showed you that Dion, I guess, is still kind of reek. Right. But right. If you missed it, though, there's a cool little part in that battle, which I did like, which is a nod to the books. Euron's ship is called the Silence, and he cuts out the tongues of all the people uh, that are on it. Dude, what so, a gruesome... Life. Yeah, right? So when there's there's that scene where Theon's looking down, and the guy's cutting out the tongue of the yes, guy, yep, yep. that's to replace the raiders they lost when they attacked oh, their ship. Oh, wow. So wow. a little book knowledge. Wow. That, that, that's pretty interesting, actually. But that's one of those things that a show watcher won't... Just yeah, exactly. Won't yeah, yeah. You just think it's gratuitous is it, violence. Is it supposed yeah. to be a nod to the book readers? Like, what is it supposed to be? Uh, like, yeah, I got I would, it right I would assume, away. But... I would assume. So, Josh, you tweeted out after the episode that you have taken out the Game of Thrones panic button from oh, no. your drawer. No, it's... I'm thinking about taking it out. It's still in the drawer. It's not out. I don't know when I'm going to take it out yet, but so far I'm aware of its presence in my drawer. And so I was concerned because I was thinking of it the way Sean's been talking about it, where I thought if Sean were going to pull a panic button out, it would be like, oh, maybe the show's losing a step. It seemed like... I, th- I, th- I think it has lost a yeah. step over the last two seasons. And I think for you, the panic button would be more for plot-related incidents, it sounds like, like what you're worried about happening to the characters. It's kind of like a countdown to midnight, kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm... Full disclosure, I'm big on Daenerys. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of mm-hmm. hope she wins. I'm mm-hmm. doing air quotes. Mm-hmm. Bad radio, but I hope she kind of wins the game. Um, so she's that's my panic button right now. Okay, do you think Jon and Daenerys are going to team up, or do you think it's a question of one or the other? One of these people are, are going to win. I've um, always just assumed they'd team up, but it's starting to seem like maybe not. Like, either one of them is going to have to lose. Well, Daenerys seems increasingly uncompromising, which is something I've thought. She always yeah. kind of has been, though, yeah. right? Yeah. It's always been kind of her way or the highway. Right. True. Right. But, uh, John and Daenerys, um, what I would like to happen is for them to kind of shack up and be like king and queen kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, that's too happy to happen in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I don't think so family, I, not that that matters in this show. If, for the Targaryens, that actually kind of helps them. There you they go. marry like brother and sister all the time. There you go. So Daenerys would actually be Jon's aunt, right? Yes. Technically, because yes. Because Rhaegar yeah. is her like way older brother. Yeah. And he begat Jon. Right. Through what's her name? Um, Lyanna Stark. Lyanna yep. Stark. I almost called her Lydia, and I was like, that's so. <laughs> that's not, close. That's not close. a Westerosi name. You're dancing around there. Lydia. I like that Martin uses some names that are just fully normal, and then he uses John. like John, and then he uses. Rob. Yeah, then weird versions that like, like yeah, Samwell, <laughs> yeah. Rickon. These names are like halfway normal sounding. Uh, There's the stupid little details too, where they're all the knights are just called Sir anyway, right? But it's spelled S E R. Sir, yeah. Come on, George. Yeah, Sir you're not you're not fooling me here, pal. Interesting thing that I saw on the internet today it went kind of viral. Um, it was you know how in the first episode of this season. You had the Hound looking into the fire with uh, Thoros of Myr. Mm-hmm. Mir. Mir. And, and he was talking about how he saw the dead walking by the wall, like by near the sea or quick whatever. Second, quick question. Is it just that easy to just see into the fire? If I, just, all you had to do was look? Seems like maybe he should have been shown earlier. It's right. Like, how weird, easy it is. It's kind of a weird thing, right? Sounds like it, kind of a plot device. Is he just kind of... 
Yeah, is it like a Deus Ex Machina? Like, it's just what it hard seems like. And you'll yeah. see what you want. Yeah, exactly. But he talked about how he saw the dead, like just walking past the wall on the sea, and people were like, "Wait, how's that happening?" Because if you look at the wall on the map, it goes from sea to sea. How would they go around? To what, shining sea. What someone found, like if you look at the credits in season six when they show the wall, it shows clearly the ocean hugs the wall, oh. and then it it showed. In episode one of season seven, when they show the wall in the opening credits, it's like more wintry and like there's ice forming off to the side of the ocean. So I don't know if it's just getting too cold and it's freezing the ocean. They're just going to walk around it that way. But like they're actually alluding to that in the opening credits that like it looks different here and you need to account for that. There's also the castle East Watch by the Sea, the Night's Watch. I don't think. They control it now? I don't know. Well, John, John just sent wildlings don't. there to man that oh, castle. that's right. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens there. I feel like next episode or ne- like one of the upcoming episodes, we're just going to cut to that place with them being overrun by by the it's army of the dead. Cut right to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be like midway through and you'll see or like Tormund being killed. be something that happens like off screen. Yeah. Tormund yeah. comes running back. Yep. And he'll be like the last one. Yeah. Something like that's going to happen. Overall... I'm always excited when the weekend rolls around. I'm like, oh, yeah, New Thrones. This is great. I just have not been enjoying it and have not been as enthralled as I have been in years past. Do you think a reason for that is because they're off book now and they don't have that as something to fall back on and they're kind of like, how are we going to fit all of this stuff in? Big shout to Shark Jug. (laughs) I think they're just at a point where all of their characters, they're so late in the show's lifeline that all the characters are pretty much developed except for the brand new ones. Right. And even then the brand new characters probably won't develop too much. Right. Euron's not gonna have some big change of heart where he becomes a good guy all of a sudden. Yeah, and and I think that's part of my problem with this now is they're introducing a character like Euron way late in the game. And I can't help but think like this dude's not gonna do anything. He's gonna like he's just fodder for whatever side is gonna end up winning. It's like I can't get too invested in this guy because I really just think Danny or John or some combination of that is just going to end up winning and they're going to beat Euron. So when we see a scene like what just happened in this last episode happen, I'm like, well, why even spend that much time? Because we, I feel like we know what's going to happen anyways here. Euron's not going to like become the the victor here. Like, why why do we care? You would f- I, go ahead. I think the show is trying to point us into the direction that. They're kind of trying to show that whoever beats the White Walkers will win. Yeah. So the most prepared people will probably be the ones that rule at the end. But I don't know. But they would have to steamroll the North to get South to destroy all the people who just right. are not preparing whatsoever. Right. So I don't know how that's going to happen. But Dragonfire kills White Walkers. Yep. Danny's got three of them. Yep. Valyrian Steel kills well, White Walkers. Dragonglass kills them. But something they all they all have like a shit ton of. Well, watch out for that ballistic uh, crossbow that uh, Grand Maester what's his name just just created. That's really going to do Kyburn. a lot of Kyburn. yeah, Kyburn. This is something we were joking about where it's like, oh, you mean this this like basically arrow <laughs> shot at a skull point blank, blank is like going to beat these dragons flying dynamically through the sky. <laughs> I mean, is that something from the books that's happened? Yeah, Meraxes, the um, one of Aegon's sister's dragons, got killed by the Dornish people with oh. some 
I don't remember what they called like a scorpion arrow. That's what I'm gonna call it. I think now. that's what they're alluding to with this. Is is that is what that? But there's is. only one right now. I mean, if they had a whole, if they're like, oh, and here's fifty An more right, right yeah, behind me. Yeah, they had the one, right. and it's just kind of aimed at an already dead dragon. A static moving. thing. Yeah. It seems kind of like. Let's put it into practice first. Let's like throw some rocks up. Maybe <laughs> so we skeet, can hit something. Go skeet shooting yeah, a little bit, exactly. and then we'll we'll try it. Out. Right. Here's an interesting thing. So I think because we know we're approaching the end game, that makes the stuff with Euron and a lot of the more newly um, sort of introduced characters seem less interesting or less sort of like we care less as viewers. It reminds me a little bit. Um, and I think this was executed definitely better. But in Breaking Bad, near the end of that show, like in season five, you had like the neo-Nazi yeah. crew. I always remember them. I always thought they were interesting, but I always felt like they're just one last obstacle that they kind of needed to introduce. And it made sense in terms of the plot. And I guess you could make the argument that everything they're doing in Thrones makes sense. But... I never felt as invested in those characters, certainly, as I did, even as, as much as I did with, like, Tuco in season one. Yeah. Where he was, like, this really huge threat, and it was so new, and you really didn't know which way the show was going to go. I think Breaking Bad is a little bit different, and I think the... Oh, yeah, the, it's very the, well, different. Well, I, I mean in the sense that introducing those characters late, because the 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 uncle and the neo-nazi crew are like the embodiment of like pure evil yep. in in the present day just neo-nazis and they entrap Jesse and and do all of that crazy stuff that they did kill Hank spoiler alert so the big big <laughs> spoiler like alert. Wait, someone someone listening was planning to start breaking bad this weekend honestly if you haven't finished breaking bad at this point this is my fault the statue of limitations this is my fault i think the difference was they Breaking Bad wasn't expecting you to care about the neo-Nazi crew. I think they no. were trying to make you just be like, this is what Walt has succumbed to now. It, it was more of an indication of where Walt's at than them being the villain of the season. I mean, I think they were definitely, they were kind of, they were the biggest obstacle of the season. They were like the bad guy you had to get through if well, you wanted to sort of free Jesse and have things go some semblance of well. Well, that'll, that'll be the White Walkers in this case. Right. True, That's, that's True. the chaotic, evil, all-encompassing, just out to kind of destroy, not really control, just destroying, grow an army. That, that's the obstacle I think they'll eventually have to get over. Mm -hmm. And that everything up until this point has been a total red herring and we've been... Literally fighting the wrong enemy the whole time. Right. Like, the Westeros is in the worst shape it's literally ever been in. Right. And the White Walkers are the strongest they have arguably have ever been. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the big thing. Mm -hmm. And I think Jon and Daenerys will end up teaming up if they don't, presumably next episode, because they tease the shit out of that. Right. And be in the same room, but... Right. Wouldn't it be crazy if the end of the show is just the White Walkers taking over everything? I kind of think that's what Wouldn't might hate happen. It. It, I, that's it, what these fucking characters deserve. Yeah. Maybe. I would prefer that over Cersei just being queen for, forever. So here, here's a question for you. When do you think Cersei gets her comeuppance for, for all of the shit that she's done? I, I feel like this is going to happen in the next like two episodes. Well, she already feels sort of neutered as a character yeah. at this point in terms of how afraid of her I am as a viewer. Mm, right. I mean, I, I think she always has something up her sleeve because she's one of the most cunning characters in the show she thinks she is you think that's what it is she thinks she's like super cunning 
Because when she, whenever she talks to Jamie, she's like, we're just going to do this. And he's like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> That's not at all we're going to do. We're going to get crushed. It's one army against five. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to win this. So, so actually, in essence, it's funny because at the end of last season, when Cersei blows up the, what is it? The Sept. The Sept. The Sept. Yeah. Um, you kind of leave that with, or I did, with the impression like, oh, she sort of won that. In a lot of ways, what Jamie pointed out in episode one is like, you didn't do shit. You kind of fucked us yeah. over by doing that. Yeah. You killed anyone who had ever been the to us yep. and made a really bad impression across like all the land. It, it seems to me that Jamie is getting pretty sick of Cersei's shit. Yeah, he and already. He already is. It, it, and he, it's gonna. My prediction is that he is going to kill her. That's the, a la Mad King style. It's gonna bookend that. He's gonna he's gonna end up killing Cersei for trying to. She's gonna try and po- play one last like really crazy card. And he's gonna be like, no, like well, you're done. That's the uh, that's, that's the, the prophecy. That's the prophecy. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The younger brother. So yep. I mean, it could be Tyrion too. Yep. But I think most people think it'll just be Jamie that yep. chokes her to death or something. I yep. don't know. Big friend he's of the, on hand though. Big friend of the pod, Mary Kate, had an interesting theory that oh. I think Josh liked. Oh, it's my favorite theory, possibly that I've ever heard. It's I mean, it's not anything crazy, but it's the idea that Arya would take the face of Jamie yes. and kill her. Oh, she yeah, thought I like before that. I did. I, I like was that. Impressed. That would be really cool. Big looks shout. like looks like Arya's headed home though, he rather does. than to uh, to King's Landing. There's now. a lot of season left, Sean. True. True. Maybe she goes with someone. I liked the way the direct uh, director or the showrunners made that choice obvious because they didn't. She didn't say like, "I'll return to Westeros." There's a little show versus tell. On the path she's walking, you see like frost and snow, and you're like, "Oh, she's heading north. She's gonna right. continue north." Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, the one time they've done that this season, <laughs> the show not they tell. Very good at it. Terrible. At I it. feel bad though because in some ways they they really are more tied. Than like any show of all time. It's 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 really really yeah, tough. They're, they're in a rough. They're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. But they have to do all of this shit in the season. Oh, yeah, to yeah get that's what I mean. The last yeah. season ready. Right. This season is just priming the last season. But Jake, I think that's Jake made a good be. comparison that it's Deathly Hallows Part One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. just all all set up. It's gonna be Ron in a bad mood and them camping, <laughs> <laughs> Game of Thrones style. Yeah. And then yeah. the next one we'll get the Snape Pensieve scene. Yeah, right. Like there'll be some right. big things. I, I guarantee the last bit. This is my mortal lock. The last scene of the season will just be like the wall being destroyed or White Walkers just like marching through. Yeah, castle I, I was wondering too when we're gonna get the big bad White Walkers threat. Well, Game scene. of Thrones, Game of Thrones' trope has been the second to last episode of the season, right? That's right. like the biggest event, in right? It. And that's why Hardhome was so surprising because that I think was like the seventh episode of that season yeah, or like something. So it, it came completely out of nowhere, but. I was listening to the Watch podcast with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan, kind of contemporaries of ours. Big, big friends um, of the pod. Big sort friends of, of the pod. Sort of have followed in our footsteps in some ways. In a lot of ways. But they, Andy Greenwald was talking about how Game of Thrones at this point has almost become critic-proof, where it's like too big to fail, basically, and any criticism you can levy against it, A, doesn't matter, and B can kind of be explained away by us being like, well, they have a lot to fit in. So, like, you, they're doing the best they can. And to that point, Jake, we were both reading the AV Club review of this last episode, mm-hmm. the newbies review. Gave it an A-. When you actually read the review, it read like a C+. Plus. It was a negative review. And yeah. that's, that's certainly how it felt to me, where it was like, we are going to give this a decent review, despite the fact that we didn't really like the episode. Right. Well, um, I, th- okay. I think Thrones is in... 
a spot where it's kind of a cultural show now, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, yep. you would be hard-pressed to find somebody on the street who has never seen an episode of Game yep. of Thrones ever. Yep. Most people, I think, would say, well, I tried watching season one. <laughs> right. Or I've seen a few episodes. Or I've seen an episode here or there. Yeah. I mean, they might not be as into it in the level that I am. Right. But I right. think most people at least are at least casually aware, aware of it. Definitely. There's, n- there's zero people who just have flat out not heard of it, are not aware right. of it. Right. So I think that's where Thrones is getting its like critic proof thing because it is, oh, it so, is yeah for sure and, it's just such a piece of the culture. It's now. it's monoculture at this point where it's one of the only things that we have that we can just say yes everyone is in on this. Like I can't remember what's the last TV show we've had that has been like that. Sopranos, Seinfeld. Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad hitting that way. Breaking Bad got there. It's not as big as Thrones though. Seinfeld, Mash. So, yeah, but like that's you know 80s, very very. Old. Yeah. We don't really have this monoculture thing anymore. So what ends up happening, and this is kind of, I talked to Jake about this. It's this is kind of where a lot of my criticism comes from. I feel the need when things get this big to poke holes in it and to be like, oh no, no no no, the writing's not perfect on this. It's not as good as the Wire guys. So like maybe you should have given the Wire more of a more attention than Game of Thrones. So it's it's a little bit of like a being a bitchy like like this isn't as good as you all think it is kind of hey, thing. You're the voice we need, Sean. Just trying but to make not, sure no one enjoys it yeah. as, as freely as they'd like. Exactly. Not trying to put exactly. labels on it, but uh you're kind of an American hero at this point. <laughs> right. And you you did wear a cape, which the listener a bad radio, the listeners don't yeah. see the cape. But Sean actually it's been like ten episodes now. Has been donning a cape every week um, as is, part of this American hero thing. This is stuff I, uh, I don't get. Right? Yeah, yeah, just usually. It's That's fantastic, right. listeners. That's right. So, any final thoughts on Thrones? Um, what do you think is going to happen in next week's episode? Big reveals. Um, I just going to be the whole John Daenerys thing is kind of going to. I think. I think what's going to happen is you're going to get all of the other things being addressed in the episode. That scene they showed in the teaser where the door opens and they like see each other for the first time is going to be the last scene. We're actually going to have to wait till the next episode to get their that wouldn't be their interaction. The they would t- they'll totally do that. It's going to bug me. I'm wondering one last thought: How because what this is seven episodes or six? Seven. When they're going to do climactic, like really climactic stuff on a seven episode arc. You could argue that they just need to maybe pack it all in in every episode. And maybe we'll get little bite-sized things like we did with the Euron fight the other day. Like maybe we'll just keep getting small little things here and there. One of the episodes is going to be like 98 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they're supposed to be longer. Second to last, their last one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's literally one of the episodes is going to be a movie. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And I, from what I understand, I think the last season is also going to be extended episodes as well. Yeah. So. Like miniseries, Band yeah. Brothers Link. Yeah. So we have like a lot of show left I still. I hope we get some assemblage of an episode where there's like maybe a half hour dedicated to one character like progressing really far. It'd have to be Joe or Daenerys at this point maybe. Like maybe the Lannisters. Like basically progress a plot to its almost end point with with one episode. And I think that's one of the stylistic choices that the show never makes. It with yeah. the exception of like Hard Home was one, right? Uh, well, yeah, Hard Home it focused on the John stuff a lot or the wall or it was just ex- like exclusively at the wall. But it's funny to think of those as a bottle episode when, when like <laughs> right, right, they're so epic. When when, in when, scope. when you think of like 
the Chinese restaurant in Seinfeld <laughs> right, being sort right. of the poster boy bottle episode. Right. <laughs> and like there are episodes of Thrones where insane shit happens right. visually and it's like, you know, it all happens in one place. It may be a battle spanning knights and yeah. killing thousands, but it's still a bottle episode for Thrones. Yeah. So um I think that's something the show has never really done, though, is those cool stylistic things, those outlier episodes where you're like, whoa, that was a cool thing that they did. Like Mad Men, for example, on that episode where Roger does LSD, there's like three little vignettes in that episode mm-hmm. of different storylines that all take place at the same time but are just told linearly as their own thing. That's something Thrones never does. And that's something I would like as a TV watcher and a TV fan bef- first before a, being a Game of Thrones fan. I just don't think that's going to happen with what they have left to do. I think they're going to stick to their 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, 10 minutes here, back to the first people again. I can't wait for the next 50-minute Grey Worm in the sand. <laughs> yes. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of oil. That's oh, going to be, uh, be 70 minutes of that 98-minute episode. Those two are electric on screen. Speaking of sexy, um, <laughs> are you holding out any hope for Jorah with his grayscale? Uh, no, he's probably gone no 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 he's not they've set this up so hard to be like dragon glass cures grayscale because uh what's her name stannis's daughter was on dragonstone when they got cured and everyone's like how did it happen how is she cured jor is gonna be fine jor is jor is gonna be fine i mean sam's gonna figure it out that he has no skin yeah he's putting the ointment on it that that turned into the 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 soup or whatever. That was actually a cool thing they did. They did those transition ah, that was, shots. That was disgusting. Those transition really, really, shots were really cool. This episode, it I was cool. Give it was really really fucking gross. Yeah, yeah. Which is not doesn't yeah. make it bad. There's, I'll agree with you. There's way too many Chekhov's guns out this oh, season. Big time. The fucking dragon scale or dress, uh, gray scale being cured by dragon glass. The fucking. Mm-hmm. Dragon killing Ballista. Yep. There's too many checkoffs guns, I don't like it. But yep. here's the thing though, this is like where I'll argue for the show a little bit. You really can't help that as you narrow I, narrow in like the yep. scope towards its end game. Because right. early in the show, you know, there, anything seemed possible. Obviously, Ned being beheaded, big spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but if you're listening to this, <laughs> this deep, yeah. like, if yeah. you haven't turned it off by this yeah. point, you're into Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. right. There were all kinds of shockers, and it was like, oh, this show where anything's possible or whatever, but the whole point has been there's this end game, there's something that's going to happen. I feel like naturally as a story and as an arc narrows, you just get to a point where it's like, well, thing ha- things have to work out for certain characters to get to where we need to be. I, I agree, and that's why I think all of the criticism I'm levying against it can be explained away. And that's what I mean sort of when I say it's critic proof at this point, because you can just be like, well, they have to do that. Like, of course they're going to put Chekhov guns everywhere. And like... Everything is foreshadowing or allusion to something else at this point. There's nothing, almost nothing, that just happens now to happen. Except for the Ed Sheeran uh, little powwow. Quick explain to Jake. I know the phrase Chekhov's gun. I assume it's from Star Trek. Is it an episode where they introduce the fact that Chekhov has a gun just so that he could use it later in the episode? It's one of... It's... A plot device. It's like you wouldn't show a gun unless somebody was going to shoot it somewhere yeah. down the line. But do yep. either of you know the actual origin? Uh, like, I don't remember at this know. point. I assume it's. I an think it is a Star Trek. Trek. I think you're right. That rings, a, that, is... that rings a bell for me. Okay. But yeah, it's messing, I might be messing that. Uh, no, that, that's no. You got no, that's it. correct. That's yeah, definitely that's correct. how it's applied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically just they wouldn't show something if it didn't ha- like mean something down the road. What's a cooler TV phrase? A Chekhov's gun or jumping the shark? And Chekhov's gun. It's cooler. Yeah. Jumping the shark, I think, is more widely used. Yeah. Well, jumping the shark is also like 
Fonzie literally jumped a shark. Fonzie, right. Was, yeah. Right, right. Could you imagine watching TV in those days? That, no. Oh, no, it's, no. It was by Anton Chekhov. Oh. I, I knew it was a literary thing. So there you okay. go. There you go. I leaked it. I'm just assuming it's Star Trek. <laughs> no, I, you had me. Hook, line, and sinker. I was like, I think Jake might be uh, right. Though. I always assumed it was like, they're going down to the planet, and he's like, Mr. Chekhov, do you have your gun that right. you always have? And he's like, sure do, Captain. And like, then they head down to the planet, and like at the uh, very end, they needed it. I always just assumed that's what it it's meant. Ba- it's basically that. I mean, you that, just came that, up with an example that basically. would be a Chekhov's gun yeah that che- it would be literally and allegorically Chekhov's gun a uh, big R.I.P. to Anton Yelchin yeah <laughs> seriously you know what's another phrase like that that people love to use mostly in writing is Occam's razor yes people yeah. throw that around all the time even the simplest like, when explanation they, when they, is most likely true when they don't have to the yeah. like, Occam's razor would suggest blood it's like just Fucking speak like a normal human being, can I, okay? Can I take some shade in the trust tree? Real yeah, quick? yeah. I, say, <laughs> I say awkward. It's a big time, like, look at how smart I am thing to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna like a little trust shrub next to the trust tree over yeah. here. I kind of like it. It when sounds, no, it sounds cool. It sounds I don't cool. use it often. I'm not yeah. confident enough yet in my yeah. Occam. Is Let's, it Occam or Oxums? Occams. Occams razor. Let's shoehorn that into conversations when, whenever possible. The, so this is just, be, a, it's just a way to strut your stuff a little bit. Yeah. A, a yeah. little, uh, little verbal cock of the walk mm, mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Here's a challenge for us, Sean. Let's see if we can incorporate it during the episode, and then any listeners who oh, get okay, to this point, okay, okay, That's, I like that. Will know why we I, said like Occam's Razor. Maybe we should see how many times we can I, say. I, it. Okay. Yeah. Tweet, tweet okay. at the listening pod if you uh, get up. To Hashtag Occam Pod. <laughs> Occam's podcast. <laughs> the simplest podcast uh, is probably the best. <laughs> Radio sounds. Uh, that that's probably a good place to end it yeah, there for I think the Thrones talk. Josh, do you yeah. feel like you left off in a good spot? You feeling good? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Good. Nice. Check for weekly updates on the uh, Game of Thrones panic button too. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's going out there. If you're free for later uh, episodes to discuss, then we should do this again. Yeah, I'm always yep. free for you guys. Cool. Thanks for coming, man. Thanks, Josh. Glad to be here. Thanks. All right, we're back on. Big shout to big friend of the pod, Josh, for joining us. For the post-show portion of this episode, listeners, let us know what you think about mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. Do you mm-hmm. watch it? Are we spoiling everything? Did we go on for too long? Should it have been its own podcast? Yes. It's a valid maybe, question. I, maybe could have been. Maybe could have been. That's not out of the question. Now. I don't hate that. We, Good I, thing it's not a saturated market with Game of Thrones podcasts. Yeah, or podcasts. <laughs> you guys would be the first ever Game of Thrones podcast. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Just one of them. Guys, get this. Roundtable discussion about Game of Thrones. We have a book reader on, but we also just have two TV show watchers. Have Hasn't you watched any of that yet? What? Oh, uh, the thing I... Uh, Talk the Thrones. Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, because it's, yeah, it's, it's like okay, but the biggest issue with it... And I will not go on long about this, but the biggest issue with it is they all talk over each other, and it, like, I think it really annoys everyone who watches it. Okay, yeah. I can see that. So, big shout to big friends of the pod at the Ringer. Does Jason Concepcion, Concepcion, like nasal, nasal voice, Concepcion, like talk down to everybody? The, both him and Mallory kind of do. Yeah, and, and we'll ha- actually, it's the point where I feel bad because they do it only to Chris Ryan. They leave Andy mostly alone because I don't think he leaves himself open to it. Right. They make fun of Chris fuck, for like fuck that, like man. not knowing book stuff. Fuck that. Should we close that window? Yeah. I feel like we. I can go do it. <laughs> okay. This That'll is gonna be, be a long post show. That'll be me. I'll be the one making fun of you guys <laughs> in any future Game of Thrones. 
But yeah, I, I haven't bothered listening to that because I just know that they only go into book stuff really and like really talk about the lore. I just wait for the watch the next day where Greenwald and Ryan just talk about it as like a TV episode and I enjoy that a lot more. I think I probably would like that. Yeah. And they only talk about it for like 10 minutes and then they move on to something else. So. To a different show? Yeah. All right, you ready? Or like to... another pop culture thing. But yeah, let, ready? Ready to dive in? I'm ready to start. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. <laughs> 